How does it feel when you see someone who is having a hard time, who is suffering, or who is lost? What's your response? Your Mindful Life Podcast. Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm Mary Slocum. In today's podcast, we'll investigate compassion, the second face of love. Compassion builds on loving kindness, that capacity to feel friendliness and caring for ourselves and others. When we recognize suffering, a desire to help, and a willingness to act arises in us without any attachment to the outcome of our helping. When you see suffering, maybe you avert your eyes or turn away because it feels like too much. This is not compassion. This is aversion. You push away the homeless person lying on the sidewalk, not physically, but Mentally, your attention is averted because maybe you worry that this could be you and that thought is just too much to digest. Or maybe you have some belief that everyone should be able to take care of themselves and that it is their fault that they are lying there. For whatever reason, aversion may arise. Or maybe when you see suffering, you jump in to help only to feel worn out when the results of your helping don't meet your expectations. This is not compassion. This is attachment. You act with the expectation that I can fix this person and make everything okay. Or perhaps when you see suffering, you reach out and help knowing that your help may result in an improvement or not, and that's okay. This is compassion. We may think that compassion requires great acts or enormous resources, but this is just not so. For many years, a woman in Sweden, a preschool teacher, gave a small monthly donation to an educational charity for poor children in Kenya. She didn't know that her contributions would allow a young boy by the name of Chris Muburu to graduate from high school, attend university, and later graduate from Harvard Law School. She didn't know, too, that he, remembering what she had done for him, would start his own charity to help more poor Kenyan children get an education. In 2010, a documentary about this called A Small Act was made. Its director, Jennifer Arnold, had this to say, The film's message is that each of us can make a big difference in the world just by doing the little bit that we can. This is compassion. Compassion has four parts. First, we recognize suffering. Then a feeling of concern and connection arises. 
Third, we have a desire to relieve the suffering from a place of equanimity. And finally, we have a willingness to act without any attachment to the outcome. The Swedish preschool teacher saw that these Kenyan children had no money to go to school and get an education. And this would mean that they would be living in poverty for the rest of their lives. She saw the big picture. Seeing the big picture is important. She had a feeling of concern and connection as a preschool teacher herself. She had a desire to alleviate suffering. In her own personal experience, she had suffered and had a wish to alleviate the suffering of others. This feeling is innate in all of us, although it can get covered up or clouded over by our conditioning, by beliefs, opinions, and judgments. And most importantly, she had a willingness to act. She gave a small monthly contribution over a long period of time to an educational charity. Without knowing what effect her donations were having on the lives of the kids. A recent study found that patients given compassionate care heal faster than those who have not. Compassionate care in this study consisted nothing more than a healthcare provider saying something like, Oh, it must be awful to have a bad cold, or it must be awful not to be feeling well. And by reaching out and putting a hand on the shoulder of the patient before giving the medical care, the control group got the same medical care, but not the connection, empathy, and gentle act of reaching out from the healthcare provider. Other studies have shown that compassion, not anger, leads to a better negotiation outcome. In still more studies, compassion training has shown to increase positive emotions, reduce depression, improve physical health, and relationships. Compassion is not pity. In the midst of the enormity of suffering surrounding us, it is easy to go from compassion to sorrow or an unconnected kind of sadness a feeling of being really down. In the face of so much suffering in the world, COVID-19, the war in the Ukraine, terror unfolding in many regions, millions of refugees, millions of people underemployed or unemployed, millions of people without housing, medical care, or education, we can easily be overwhelmed by the sorrow of it all. And especially given the immediacy of everything, with the constant stream of media and pictures flashing on our screens in front of our eyes all day. So what do we do when we drop into sorrow? We might investigate. This is an opportunity to go inside, to mentally step back and give a little space and ask the question, what's happening now? We can investigate for ourselves. Subtly, underneath, there might be something that doesn't want the suffering, that's pushing it away, that has an aversion to it. 
Or there's something that is attaching us to it that won't let go, that has us all tied up in it. Now, if we recognize this and allow it to be present as it is and feel how it feels in our body and listen to what it wants to tell us, it will release. These feelings of aversion or grasping are just forms of suffering. And our gentle investigation is giving ourselves compassionate care. Compassion comes when we're willing to come close to suffering. And our conditioning tends to pull us away from suffering, away from pain, away from unpleasantness. A while ago, I was at the grocery store. Behind me in line was a man in a wheelchair. He was unwashed, quite smelly and disheveled and it was unpleasant. My immediate reaction was to pull away. I averted my eyes from him, and in that moment, I recognized what was happening. I paused and breathed and put some space around the situation. Let me open to this, I said inwardly. Let me be with this suffering, and it felt okay to do so. Can I really be with this suffering? Not just acknowledge it intellectually, but really feel it. Feel how it feels to be without a bath, to be able to move only with the aid of a wheelchair, and to have only ragged clothes to wear. The man was arguing with the cashier now because the cashier wanted him to put his items on the belt, and the man refused. I looked at the man, and I felt his distress. Here was a man who had nothing, who was suffering. And I asked myself, how can I help? In that moment, I turned to the cashier and said, I'm paying for the gentleman behind me. The cashier was taken aback and asked me, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. I'm paying for the gentleman. Compassion needs space and balance for it to arise. Compassion needs a willingness to get close. And importantly, compassion needs a willingness to act. This little question, how can I help, is key. Just holding the question, how can I help, without analyzing or problem solving, just holding the question in our heart, allows ways to help to present themselves in big and little ways. Can you feel the difference between dropping into sorrow and holding the question, how can I help? How can I help is uplifting because we're engaged in a positive and discerning way. The other side of compassion is indifference. We don't see, we don't feel, we don't want to. I think indifference is really just another form of aversion. We don't like it, so we pretend it's not there. It doesn't exist. But of course, that's just an illusion because we don't want to get close. We don't want to touch it. We don't want to feel it. We don't want anything to do with it. 
Now, there is something more that can get in the way of compassion. It arises when we see suffering and we rush in without pausing, without allowing the whole picture to unfold. Underneath this is often something in us that wants to push the suffering away, to get rid of it quickly. When we rush in with only a partial perspective, a partial point of view, a one-sidedness, compassionate acts can go awry and get all muddled up. Usually, every year, I go on a five- to seven-night retreat with my teacher, Adyashanti. Meditation retreats can be heady experiences, meeting our own suffering and processing aspects of ourselves that are asking to be heard. We spend a lot of time being with ourselves in the present moment. It's not uncommon to see someone crying. Adyashanti always reminds us, let the other person have their experience. What he is saying is this, rushing in to help is usually more about us and the discomfort we're feeling seeing someone crying rather than it is about the person we are rushing in to help. And allowing another to process their inner experience is also compassionate. By not rushing in, we allow the person to have the experience they are having allowing them the space and time to process what is there and to grow their discernment and wisdom. It's easy to rush in. An elderly man used to sit every morning at the door to Pete's coffee shop. He looked like he was living outside and was homeless. Whenever I went to Pete's for a morning coffee, I would buy him one too. One day I realized Isn't this interesting? I have never asked him if he would like coffee or tea or if he takes milk and sugar in his drink. I've never asked him if he'd like a morning muffin. I have just assumed and brought him a coffee. That day, I asked him what he'd like. Black coffee and a chocolate chip muffin, he said. So I got him what he had asked for. When I handed him the coffee and muffin, he eagerly began eating and I went on my way. I had no illusion that a coffee or muffin would make a great change in his life. All it did was to bring a moment of satisfaction to him. You might ask, but didn't he thank you? No, he didn't. But compassion doesn't ask for anything in return. Coming from a place of equanimity is fundamental to compassion. So even though we'll explore it more in a not-too-future episode, let's visit it briefly now because equanimity is that presence of mind that allows the full unfolding of a situation and leads compassionate action. Equanimity is the foundation from which loving kindness, compassion, and appreciative joy spring. Equanimity has the quality of spaciousness and non-reactivity. It doesn't jump to conclusions. It doesn't fall back on conditioned behaviors. It is discerning. 
It doesn't grab onto and hold on, and it doesn't run away or push anything away. Can you see the importance of equanimity? We see something. We hear something. It's so easy to jump into reactive mode. I hate this. This is terrible. Those people are horrible. Or whatever the condition reaction might be. Equanimity offers us the space to look from all perspectives and not to take sides. Now, equanimity is not indifference. It is not, I don't care. It is a neutral viewing of everything. It is an opening up to the totality of the situation. Equanimity allows us to relax. When the tightness in our bodies relax, our hearts open. It's helpful to remember that as we navigate the trials and tribulations of our lives, that whatever our feelings may be, what's happening is often outside of our control. Bad things happen. Equanimity helps us to understand the difference between bad things happening and our suffering. We can't control the bad things, but we can act to relieve the suffering that comes from it. The man sitting outside of Pete's is still homeless, but in that moment, he was satisfying his hunger and enjoying his morning coffee and muffin. Seeing the bigger picture helps us to relax. When we fight against what is happening, when we try to be in control of everything, we become tight, tense, contracted, and stressed. And we get worn out. That's a signal that we need to take care of what's happening in us in that moment. By engaging compassion from a place of equanimity, we can act in the world in a meaningful way. We can be of service without trying to fix something because it makes us feel uncomfortable or to act so that we feel better or to act because we feel that we have some kind of control over the outcome of our actions. This week, I invite you to explore how you can act compassionately in your everyday life. What small act can you do to help someone who is suffering? Can you do this from a place of equanimity, that place that allows the suffering to be there without pushing it away through your action, that place that allows you to act without being attached to any specific outcome? Explore and see what happens for you. And if you'd like to practice a compassion meditation, you might try the compassion meditation I talked about in episode 6, starting with yourself and expanding in ever-widening circles to include family, friends, those in your town, state, country, continent, all the continents, all the islands, all the seas, the sky, and even in outer space and repeat phrases of compassion. May I, may you, may all beings be safe. May I, may you, may all beings be happy. May I, may you, may all beings be free from suffering. May I, may you, may all beings be full of peace and joy. As always, I'm grateful to you, my listeners. 
A new meditation class is beginning the first week in May. To book, head over to my website, yourmindfulpractice.com. That's yourmindfulpractice, all one word, dot com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter in the footer or leave a comment on the contact page. If you would like to support the podcast, please tell your friends about it. Listen and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform. Please review it too. I am also grateful to everyone who makes this podcast possible. Ali Allen in San Francisco for logo and podcast cover design. Gorgias Romero in Santiago, Chile for original music, audio engineering, and production. Bill Rafferty in Sydney, Australia for technical web support. And Margaret Haas in Los Angeles, California for announcing the show. Have a compassionate week. Be well, be mindful.